The second reading is written in the eighth chapter of Amos, beginning with the fourth verse. Hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring ruin to the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the ephah small and the shekel great, and practice deceit with false balances. Bind the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. The word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Rudy. My name is Amos, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you what I learned some years ago when I had a remarkable experience as one of God's prophets. Many people have asked me what impact this period in my life had on me and on those around me, and I'm eager to share with you this morning my perspective. I have a feeling that you too may profit by what I have to say although your profit may not be exactly what you expected. Back in those days, I was a nurseryman from Tekoa. That was a small village that was south of Jerusalem. It existed in the divided kingdom, in the kingdom known as Judah. In my kingdom, Uzziah was the king. My time was 800 years before Jesus' advent on earth, And my life was a quiet and simple one for many, many years. You see, I, I tended fig trees, and I was responsible for their health and their growth. I enjoyed my life. I took pride in my work. I loved caring for those juicy figs that were a favorite of so many of my neighbors. But one day, I was just resting in the shade, leaning up against one of the trees in my orchard, And suddenly I felt that God was calling me to do something greater, maybe something that you would think to be outrageous. I believed that he was asking me to go to the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel, where Jeroboam sat as king. It wasn't initially clear to me what I was expected to do when I got there, but I sensed there was some urgency about this. And I trusted that God would reveal to me what I was to do once I made the trip and arrived in the capital city of Bethel. You can imagine that the whole thing sounded crazy to me at first, especially when I went out and I told my neighbors what I was about to do. You, Amos, they said? What do you know about things political and religious in the northern kingdom? You don't even know much about that stuff down here in the southern kingdom. One of my neighbors said, don't be deceived, man. You are suffering from a delusion. He also told me that I'd not only get in trouble up there, I might also end up losing my life. I thought a great deal about what everyone said, but finally, I knew by the power of God's word, I had to go. So I packed up and I I headed for Bethel in the north. It took me about a week to make the trip on foot, and I didn't talk to too many people as I went along the way because I felt that 
those folks just might not understand. You see, I come from a small village, and I was surprised at what Bethel was like when I got there. The city was substantial in my time. There were many buildings, and they were constructed of great stones. We didn't have that in Tekoa. Anyway, they had a temple there. It wasn't as grand as the one in Jerusalem, but it was a very nice temple for a capital city. People in the streets were all dressed very nicely, and there was a lot of business activity going on there. You could tell that the people, as they passed through the streets, were fairly well off. There was plenty of food and water for everyone, and in the vendors' slots there was wine and fruit and meat there as well, and all kinds of fruits, vegetables, and and breads. As I visited with people in a friendly way when I first arrived, I got some invitations to join some folks in their homes for meals. Some of the homes I was invited to were extravagant. They had beautifully made furniture, and and their tables were set lavishly. And the people there had servants to come and wait upon them. As nice as all that looked, there did seem to be something wrong with the, the whole setting, though. The people I was meeting... They were all self-centered. Their main interest seemed to be in improving their status among their business and social acquaintances. When they talked about other people, it was usually in a, well, a condescending way. You know, they talked that way in order to help you appreciate how much better off they were than those other folks. People of Bethel's religious life was, in fact, rather superficial. They went to the temple on special occasions. They made their sacrifices and and they prayed when they got there. But otherwise, the people's worship didn't seem to have much impact on the way they lived their lives. When you learned about the ethics of their business practices and the way they treated people, you really wondered what the what that folks' religion really meant to them. It was about that time I began to have a better understanding why God wanted me to go to that place. I can't explain exactly why I felt that way, but one day I felt compelled to go to their beautiful temple and express publicly my concerns about some of the practices that I'd observed among them. Then as I began to speak, it was as if some, somebody else began speaking through me because the words just flowed. They, I didn't even think. They just flowed out of me. And those words took on power when I spoke. As I stood at the temple, I told them that, you build mansions, but those not being enough, you have to build beautiful vacation homes too. You adorn your furniture with ivory and precious metals. You recline on couches and tell the servants, Bring me a drink. You love to eat leg of lamb, and you love your prime cuts of beef. You plant lush vineyards and relish the grapes and the wine that they produce. You brag how much you give for temple offerings. (laughs) And you use only the finest cosmetics, and you swill wine in huge goblets. 
Do you know how it is when hard words hit you? Do you know how it is when the law gets preached to you? Sometimes it just makes you angry and you want to walk out. But these words that I uttered seem to have struck a note. They, they plucked a chord that the people of Bethel recognized. The, a crowd started to gather around me and, and they, they were listening to me. And then suddenly, as if from beyond me, these words started to overwhelm both the people and me. But you folks, you don't care about the poor and you deny justice to the oppressed. You can't wait for the Sabbath to end so that you can sell the floor sweepings along with the wheat. You skimp on what you give for the price and you use dishonest scales. When people ate the, or when people are at their last penny, you send them away as if they are nobodies. After that, the priest of the temple, Amaziah himself, came out and he told me, Get out of here. Get out of here, he said. Don't use any of your professional preacher tactics around here. Because these, these are good people. And you, you Amos, have gone too far. I told Amaziah, I'm not a professional preacher at all. I'm just a nobody that God chose to use. You, Amaziah, tell me to stop preaching? This is what I tell you. Your wife is going to become a prostitute. And your sons and daughters are going to die by the sword. And your country is going to be chopped up. And you, you, Amaziah, you will die in a pagan land. I thought to myself, Amos, you've lost it. I I was sure the people of Bethel were going to kill me. But gradually, a sense of peace came over me. And I realized that what I was about to say is what I had really come to say. So I said it. And I said it with a voice that didn't tremble any longer. I said, God hates your religious feasts. And he can't stand your solemn assemblies. Away with your singing. Away with your praying. Let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. I have to confess. I could see that some of their eyes had become bloodshot. Some of the people were clenching their fists. Yet I came to understand that there is judgment that speaks louder than words. It's one thing to criticize someone. It's one thing to concern yourself with certain immoralities and improprieties. It's quite another thing, however, to discover that you're dealing with something that is at God's very heart. And something that is his passionate concern for those who cannot speak for themselves. I came to learn in my preaching that God loves all people. But when he sees you turning on the people that he loves... People who cannot defend themselves? That's when God gets very angry. And this anger, I learned, comes from God's heart of love. And this love of God speaks so powerfully that the people there in Bethel had to hear it. Just as you do. From that point on, the 
words God gave me flowed less painfully. There was joy in what I was compelled to say. Still, I knew that there were serious times ahead for all the people of, of the promised land. In looking back, I didn't understand everything that would be involved, you know, captivity by pagan nations and enslavement for years on foreign soil. However, the fact that God loved this people and wanted them as his own, that fact was sure. Sometimes God would shake the people, even in the presence of other nations. But God's intent was always to restore them, to build them up with his love as they used to be, as they ought to be. And as I shared these words, I wept inside and out. It was overpowering to me to understand that no matter how much we fail God, God will never fail us. I'm Amos. And in Hebrew, my name means burden. My burden has been to help people find God's hope in the midst of personal despair. This is your burden as well. In the midst of all we do to restrict God's love to only the people around us, God's love affirms even us. And it challenges us to change and to bring hope where none now exists. Some months ago, Pastor Jerry assembled certain members of his staff staff to plan out Advent for this year. And we came up with a slightly different approach. And it was born out of the fact that Pastor Jerry has preached uh, a few series over this past year in which he focused on what some people call the minor prophets. Mind you, they're not really minor prophets at all. It's just that the books in the Bible are much smaller than, say, Isaiah or Jeremiah. Some of you have been fascinated by what you heard during his series, so it seemed wise to look at what these prophets had to say about God's plan for the Messiah, which reaches its fullness in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. My assignment, as was just obvious, was centered on Amos. It may have seemed strange to hear the words and sentiments of this seldom-heard prophet when you come to modern-day worship on a, a day like this, the first day of Advent. I mean, most of us think that when Advent comes around, it's supposed to be a time when we anticipate the birth of our dear Christ child. Many expect a warm-up for our singing of Silent Night in four weeks, and not, we don't expect to be yelled at as though our sin leaves us in some sort of state of hopelessness. Indeed, Amos, if you read his small book in the Bible, rants on and on through eight and a half chapters of the total of nine, pretty much the way I presented them this morning. But the prophet, through God's words, has a purpose. And it's not to just make people feel bad. The prophet is insistent that we follow the heart of God toward true justice. We are to repent, the old churchy word. We are to turn away from defining our existence based upon the things that the world values. Instead, we are to turn our hearts and our minds and our lives toward justice, God's justice. The Lord uses Amos to call us toward living as God would live 
if he appeared among us walking in the world. In other words, we are to live just like Jesus Christ to the extent we can when it comes to loving God and to loving our neighbor. We're called to prepare for the coming of Christ by repenting from those ways and and those habits which entice us away from his justice on earth and entice us away from what God has prepared in the world to come. Amos doesn't ultimately leave us in a hopeless condition. In fact, in the last half of his last chapter, the ninth, we hear finally these words. On that day I will rise up, raise up a booth of David that is fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, in order that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this. The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when the one who plows shall overtake the one who reaps, and the treader of grapes the one who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them upon their land, and they shall never again be plucked up out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. And then I've held the gospel lesson until now. Where, in Luke's 21st chapter, which is traditionally read this day, we hear much the same. In the words of Jesus himself, we hear this. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day, that is, the coming of the Messiah, does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Yes, brothers and sisters, it has, for all these 2,800 years and more, been God's plan to warn us to change our ways, to repent. Repentance is the true way to become ready to stand before the Son of Man, to stand before Jesus Christ when he returns. Amos told us these things those 2,800 years ago. Jesus told us the same when he last stood on this earth bodily in front of us. As we all prepare for the coming of Jesus in four weeks' time, may we, all of us, have the ears to listen to his prophets, these prophets who are anything but minor. And as we listen, may you and I and all of us who follow Christ have a changed heart. Amen.